Well, good morning. If you haven't figured out this morning, we're at the place of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he talks about being salt and being light. You know, um, how many of you can stop eating just one pretzel or one potato chip or one Cheeto? Anybody got that kind of discipline in your life? Of course, no, it doesn't look like it. Um, you know, salt is, is sort of what we would consider a catalyst, okay? And, and I thought it would be interesting to look up in Webster's dictionary as to what a catalyst is, and here's what it says. It's an acceleration of a reaction produced by a substance. Such acceleration is usually positive, but may be negative when a substance called an anti-catalyst retards the reaction. In essence, we are called by being salt and light catalysts as Christians in a culture that desperately needs change. You agree with that? So in essence, this morning, what I want to encourage you to be is a catalytic converter. Okay? You got it? Okay, some of you got it. Some of you didn't, maybe. But that's okay. Let's read Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And, and we're in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 13, okay? You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Then he goes on. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, what was salt used for in that day? Well, we know that salt was primarily used for preservation. And the first principle I want to share with you this morning is this. Only decaying or dead things need to be preserved. Do you know that there are a lot of decaying people out here in our culture today? In fact, the minute we're born, we begin to age, right? And it says, if you want to go a step further, you could say the minute we're born, we begin to die. And so our culture needs preservation. And we're living in this culture that is decaying and dying day in and day out. And if we don't influence it somehow, our culture is going to be completely corrupt and go into decomposition. And yet, that's kind of what's going on, isn't it? There's a second principle here that I want to bring up in this regard, and that's that salt and meat can occupy the same place, but unless the salt penetrates the meat, it doesn't do any good. Here's what I mean by that. In order for meat to be preserved, it was important for them to actually literally rub the salt into the meat so that that meat would be completely saturated with the salt, which would help preserve it for the future. You see, salt and meat could occupy the same space, but until you rub it, until it penetrates, it's not going to do any good. And so in essence, we can occupy the same space with non-Christians, but if we aren't going to rub people, especially not the wrong way, right? If we're going to rub on people, we're going to have to do a job of penetration. We're going to have to somehow intentionally penetrate our culture. How do we do that? Well, I'm going to give you some ways that we can do that because this is really a critical component to understanding how we can share our faith and be a greater 
uh, influence in the culture that we live in. Number one is we've got to build intentional relationships with non-believers. There are some statistics out there that say that once a person becomes a Christian, he loses all pretty much contact with unbelievers within the first year of his faith. So consequently, a lot of people do not have any really a lot of intentional non-believer relationships. And if we're going to just stay in our holy huddles and not penetrate the culture, somehow we've got to start figuring out how to get out of the salt shaker. It reminds me of one time, and I don't know about you, but if you've been in a very humid climate, I remember one time sitting on the beach at a restaurant and I was trying to pour some salt on, I think it was something, I can't remember what I was pouring salt on, which I can't do anymore. Um, but the point was, is that it was so humid that the salt had kind of coagulated in the salt shaker. You ever been there? And you know, you slam the salt shaker down and then try to pour it back out and nothing comes out. And it's so frustrating because it's coagulated in there because of the humidity inside the salt shaker. And I think sometimes churches become like that salt shaker where it coagulates in this humidity of spirituality and we never get out of the salt shaker. We never get to a point where we realize the church doesn't just happen here. It happens out there, amen? It happens out in the community. It happens out in the workplace. It happens with our neighbors. And so we've got to figure out a way to build intentional relationships with non-believers. I know in my own life, about 16, well, it's been almost 20 years ago now, uh, God was convicting me about that. And if you remember my mission statement, I shared that one of the things I wanted to do is always to be intentional about sharing my faith. Well, if you stay in the ivory tower all the time as a pastor, yeah, you can maybe collect some, you know, some low hanging fruit, if you will, in a counseling appointment or in the church. But unless I figured out how a way to get out into my culture and connect with some non-Christian people, I was not modeling what I'm asking the people in the church to do. And so God spoke to me about being a, a, a chaplain with a police department. And God allowed me to see nine guys come to Jesus over those nine years. It was an exciting thing for me, and it, but it took intentionality. I had to not just occupy the same space with these guys. I needed to connect with them, and I needed to start penetrating where they live. So building intentional relationships. Are any of you building intentional relationships for the very purpose, ultimately, to share your faith with somebody in your life? Here's the second way that we can intentionally penetrate our culture. We need to be alert to points of need. People out there are having vulnerable times. These, there are people out there who is having, have uh, experienced death, perhaps, in, in a family member, an illness. There may be marital or family issues or financial issues or esteem issues. We, you know, people out there are hurting. And one of the things that we need to do as a believer is we need to come alongside these people at their point of need. We need to find out where those vulnerable spots are. And if we don't connect with them, we're not going to know when that happens. We're not going to have the credibility to speak into their life if we don't really connect with them. And so it's important to be alert to people who have points of need. I remember one of the officers that ended up leading to the Lord had a son who was actually in jail for second degree murder. And you can imagine how frustrating that must be for a police officer whose son was uh, going against the law and actually in prison and he was going to be sentenced and it was one of those days where I just sensed that he was really struggling and I just began to speak to him and talk to him about the Lord and he came to Jesus Christ because it was a point of need in his life he was so hurting for his son and it was such a difficult time in his life so be alert to points of need here's the third thing we need to learn how to live the abundant life 
Scripture says, he said, I've given you life and I want to give it to you more abundantly. And if we walk around in life always being negative and critical and depressed, and if our priorities aren't really in order and we're not living consistent lives, we're hypocritical, we're never going to have an impact on that, quote, meat that is decaying out there. So it's critical that we live this life. Uh, You know, the point is this. You know, salt was often taken from the Dead Sea back in the day when this was written. But if it was contaminated by gypsum, that salt was just totally uh, worthless. And it became this real alkaline type of taste. And there was nothing they could use it for other than to put it in the sidewalks or in the streets to help kind of fill cracks. And people literally walked on it. And I'm wondering how many Christians today have been so penetrated by the culture so that the gypsum, if you will, in our lives has taken away our savoriness, our our saltiness, and consequently, we're being walked on by our culture. And you can see it happening all over the country. So we need to learn how to live this abundant life where we're walking with integrity and consistency. Here's the fourth way that we can make a difference. We need to be prepared to tell the truth. We need to have some type of, of system that we can use in order to share our faith. One of the ways we could do that is maybe come to Red Zone, which is Pastor Dan's going to be doing in the next few weeks on the 21st, I think it starts, where he's going to teach, teach you how to, to maybe have a system of way, where you can actually share your faith intentionally and give you a way to do that. But when we, when I mean be prepared, we need to be alert because oftentimes these questions come up. Have you ever had these come up in your life? When, when questions of ethics come up, been in a, a business situation and there's been an ethical issue where there's somebody that's maybe hedging or maybe not telling the whole truth or, or, or something like that. And you have an opportunity to speak into that. There, there's times when, when morals are being discussed. And we, and, and when the, and, and it's an opportunity for us to kind of give our two cents worth from biblical, from a biblical perspective. When integrity is being compromised or, or sometimes when questions about life are brought up. Have you ever been in a discussion about that? What's life about? What's my purpose in life? Uh, when needs are shared and vulnerable moments, we've got to be prepared for those moments. And the best way to do that is to get up every morning and say, God, if there's a divine appointment out there, I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I want to make sure that, that I'm at a place where when something like this comes up, that I'm alert enough to do it, to be able to not just stand there as a salt person, but to be able to get out of the salt shaker and make a difference in somebody's life. So we got to be prepared to tell the truth. And five, uh, number five is that we need to take advantage of public platforms. I was so uh, impressed, and, and I'm not campaigning or trying to be political at all, but if you recently got a Facebook uh, uh, from Marco Rubio, and he was standing in front of an audience, and a guy got up, and he said, I'm an atheist. How are you, as, quote, a man who says he's a Christian, going to represent me if you become president? It was incredible what he had to share, and he shared so the total gospel presentation in that in that response. He was able to share how important his faith was, and it was just so impressive to see somebody on a public platform being able to be that candid and that bold and with that much integrity to share their faith. How can we do that? Well, maybe we need to write our legislatures, uh, legislators. Maybe we need to volunteer in the community. 
when, when we get an award, maybe it's time to give God credit for that award or when there's public demonstrations like a walk for life. I, I don't know what it looks like, but we need to take advantage sometimes of those public platforms. And some people have abused those, but I think there's a, a real place in our culture today where Christians need to stand up and be salt and light in more of a public environment. Here's the sixth thing that we can do, and that is we just need to pray. And I don't say we just need to pray. It says in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, some of you know this verse by heart. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and what? Heal their land. The power of prayer is amazing. We need to pray. So Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth. How salty are you? How comfortable are you in your holy huddles, whether they're your community groups or the church? And when is it time to just get out of our salt shaker and begin to start penetrating the culture that we touch every day? Sometimes we get so overwhelmed, I think, by the, by the overwhelming situation of our culture and how it's rapidly decaying. And we just feel like, man, we're, we're just kind of getting swept up in all of it. And yet, if we could just touch the people that we rub shoulders with from day to day, that's where we need to start. Well, Jesus transitions out of the salt shaker and into the light. And I think about this as the way he was trying to progress in how he was sharing this particular truth. It's, it's like salt, salt may stop the decay, which is a reaction, Okay, it's a catalytic reaction that salt creates. Light is the proactive function that promotes openly the positive alternatives. One keeps it from decay. The light presents the positive alternatives to what the decay is happening. Does that make sense? And so I think Jesus transfers or transitions, just like we're transitioning this morning, that we cannot shine our light without our power source. You know, when he was talking about a light here, it was like the reflection that the moon gives to the sun. We don't manifest the light ourselves, right? We don't conjure up the power, but we're a reflection. We're like the moon and the sun, and we're a reflection of the sun, S-O-N, right? And so as a reflection, we are to be light, and so we have to stay connected to the power source in order for us to be effective in presenting an alternative, so we've got to be a, a major reflection. And I, uh, you know, and I guess this is where I think uh, giving people a full moon really comes into play. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I brought that up. But what, what kind of a moon are you is what I'm asking. Are, are you that little sliver moon? Are you a half moon? Or are you a full moon? You see what I'm saying? And, and unless we're, we're really connected to the sun in an intimate way, we're never going to have that full-blown reflection where people are going to see, that's what I want. That's the way I want to go. That's a, that's a positive alternative to what's going on in our culture. So it's critical that we're plugged in to the power source. Are you plugged in? Here's number eight, where I think... It's important. He says in verse 15, 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In fact, in that day, what they would do in order to light the whole house, they would put the light as high up in the centermost part of the room so that it would give the most light to the most areas of the corner, all the corners of the home. That's the way it was set up. And so if they would put it down on the floor and instead of up high where everybody could get a benefit from it, they, you could... It was one way that they could do that, but that's not how it was done. So, so my point is, we can be selective where we shine. And some of us have a tendency to keep our light under a bushel, if you will, or maybe down low so that it doesn't really offend anybody or that nobody will really see the benefit of it. And so we sort of kind of run around in our society or in our culture as, as secret light people, you know? And, 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 and instead of really having that light just be effervescent and overflowing and glowing where everybody can see it, we sort of hide it. We hide it under a bushel. You remember the old, this little light of mine? Hide it under a bushel what? No, let's not do that. Well, what might cause us to put our light under a bowl? What, what's, what's the reason? Why do we do that? Why, why aren't we a little bit more bold about our light? What's our problem? Well, I think one of it is that one of the problems is, is that there's ignorance out there. And, 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 and in other words, we, we don't know what to say or how to say it. And we're so afraid that we're going to get into some sort of confrontation or argument that we won't have the right answers. And so ignorantly, we just say, you know what? I'm just going to keep my light down low here. You know, I'm going to keep it real, really low. Sometimes it's fear. You know, we're just, we're just so afraid of, of, of a reaction. And yet that's what Jesus talked about earlier in the, already in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Remember when he said, you know, don't feel bad when you get persecuted. In fact, you ought to be happy about persecution. You ought to be happy that you're getting some type of reaction because yet that reaction tells us that perhaps there's some conviction going on, Right? And so why are we so afraid? And I think the third reason is, is that we just oftentimes live such an inconsistent life. We don't feel like we have a platform because we know that there's issues in our life that people have seen that are inconsistent. And so we don't want to blow it by being a hypocrite. And so we'd rather not say anything because of our lifestyle. Maybe that's you. Will Rogers said this, so live that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Can you do that? I think another reason why we put our light under a bushel is because Satan has an incredible strategy called distractions. Have you ever noticed that? And you know what those distractions are? It's the busy lifestyles that we lead. And it's just amazing how a day can go by and how many things can come. The tyranny of the urgent that instead of living a prioritized and purposeful life, we're busy running to the tyranny of the urgent. We're continually distracted. And because of those distractions, we never get it right. You know, we just, you know, how many times I said in my own life, I would have, I should have, I could have. And I go to bed at night and I think, oh man, I missed this opportunity. What happened? Well, I got distracted. Have you been there? You know what I'm talking about? You get so busy, we get so doing our agenda that we forget that one of the reasons why we're put here on this planet is to be an ambassador. And if we forget about that, we forget about being an ambassador, Satan will do everything he can to trip us up with all kinds of distractions in our lives. 
And then five, you know, the fifth reason why I think why we don't share is that there seems to be no point of need. Uh, what I mean by that is this. Uh, you know, you, you go around and you hang out with people who are non-believers and they kind of on the surface look to be happy, right? I mean, I got a whole bucket load of neighbors in my neighborhood that are very well-to-do. They've got all the money they could ever want. They appear to be happy. That's why they say it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. I mean, they seem like there's no real point of need. And sometimes you can just go on day in and day out and just assume that that person that's around you, they're happy. They're doing fine. They're, 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 they're have a family life. They, they seem to have it together. They, they don't seem to have a problem here. And so consequently, we don't realize that that person who doesn't really express maybe their need is, is the same person that's going to go to hell someday because somebody never told them about Jesus. And sometimes I think we forget that people out there are truly needy. And if they don't express their need, they do have a need because we know they have a need because they need Jesus. Amen. They got to have Jesus. So we need to shine so all people can see, not just one or two. Everybody needs to be able to see That's why we put the light on a hill. Amen. That's what we do. I'd like to share with you a a story, an illustration that I read years ago. Maybe it's familiar to some of you. It's a bit lengthy. And it's kind of a sad story, but I think it's something that's worth reading to you all this morning. So pay attention. Listen to this. On a dangerous seacoast notorious for shipwrecks, there is a crude little life-saving station. Actually, the station was merely a hut with only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the turbulent sea. With little thought for themselves, they would go out day and night tirelessly searching for those in danger as well as the lost. Many, many lives were saved by this brave band of men who faithfully worked as a team in and out of the life-saving station. By and by, it became a famous place. Some of those who had been saved, as well as others along the seacoast, wanted to become associated with a little station. They were willing to give their time and energy and money in support of its objectives. New boats were purchased, new crews were trained, the station that was once obscure and crude and virtually insignificant began to grow. Some of its members were unhappy that the hut was so unattractive and poorly equipped, they felt a more comfortable place should be provided. Therefore, emergency cots were replaced with lovely furniture and rough handmade equipment was discarded and sophisticated classy systems were installed. The hut, of course, had to be torn down to make room for all the additional equipment, furniture, systems, and appointments. By its completion, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place, and its objectives began to shift. It was now used as sort of a clubhouse, an attractive building for public gatherings, saving lives and feeding the hungry and strengthening the fearful and calming the disturbed rarely occurred by now. Fewer members were now interested and braving the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired professional lifeboat crews to do the work. The original goal of the station wasn't altogether forgotten, however. The life-saving motifs still prevailed in the club's decorations. In fact, there was a liturgical lifeboat preserved in the room of sweet memories. 
with soft indirect lighting, which helped hide the layer of dust upon the once used vessel. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the boat crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty. Some were terribly sick and lonely. Others were black and they were different from the majority of the club members. The beautiful new club suddenly became messy and cluttered. A special committee saw to it that a shower house was immediately built outside and away from the club so victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside the club. At the next meeting, there were strong words and angry feelings, which resulted in a division among the members. Most of the people wanted to stop the club's life savings activities altogether and place all involvements with shipwreck victims somewhere else. It's too unpleasant, they said. It's a hindrance to our social life. It's opening the doors to folks who are not our kind. Well, as you would expect, some still insisted upon saving lives, that this was their primary objective. Their only reason for existence was ministering to anyone needing help, regardless of their club's beauty or size or decorations. Well, they were voted down. And they were told if they still wanted to be involved in saving lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, and so they did. As years passed, the new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into just another club, and yet another life-saving station was begun. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that coast today, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline owned and operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with saving lives. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, you understand, but now most of the victims are not saved. Every day they perish at sea, and so few seem to care. So very few. May God help us to never be a club at Cornerstone Church. Amen? We are here about saving lives. Amen? Rescue is so important. It's one of our values. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I would like for you to take a challenge. I'd like for you to take a challenge that you would begin to identify some folks in your life that you would intentionally build a relationship with. And I would like for you to let me know when God has used you to be able to share your faith with somebody. And so if you would do this for me, if you have the opportunity in the next couple of weeks to share your faith and you're going to step out, let your light shine, would you just email me at tom at prescottcornerstone.com and just let me know your story. And I want to start sharing those stories along the journey as we go through the, the whole rest of the Sermon on the Mount because I want to create a culture, if you will, that's not something that I have a vision for. It's what God has a vision for this church, that we would begin to be intentional about being salt and light. Amen? So let me close with some questions. Are you alert to the opportunities to share your faith? Are you, really, are you really sensitive on a day-to-day basis? Is that one of the prayers of your life when you get up in the morning to say, God, I want to be used in somebody's life, uh, that neighbor that I've been praying for, that person at work that I've been rubbing shoulders with, that, 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 that kid down the street, that, that family member that I've been wanting to share my faith with. Are you really alert to those opportunities? I want to encourage you to pray that prayer every day. God, give me a divine appointment. Help me to be alert to be able to share my faith today. Don't allow distractions. Don't allow my, my lifestyle to be a hindrance. God, I want to be used by you because I 
I know that one of the main reasons I'm here on this earth is to further your kingdom. Secondly, what's preventing you from sharing your faith consistently? What's the problem? What is the issue? What I encourage you to do is identify what that issue is. If it's an inconsistent life, well, then figure out how to get consistent. Figure out how to, how to get, get a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Or if it's ignorance and you just don't know how to really close the deal, maybe it's time to go to red zone and just figure out a way, at least a method to be able to kind of close the deal. I, I don't want to sound crass, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Thirdly, what do you think it would take for this church as a group, as a whole, to be more aggressive about your faith? What do you think it's going to, what it's going to take? I trust that one of the things that it would take is that we would band together and pray as a church to say, God, we want this church to change this community. We want to make a difference in Prescott. We want to make a difference in Prescott Valley. We want to make a difference in Chino. You know, we're making a difference around the world. We're sending missionaries every, and they're making a difference. Are we making a difference here? I trust that we can and we will. Amen? Let's, that was really weak. All right, I'm going to pray. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Early in his sermon, he makes it very clear what our task and what our role is. God, we need to be salt and light. I just pray that we become more lovingly aggressive, I guess, is what I'm thinking, that we would be more intentional about building those relationships. If there's some people that are on our mind, I remember back, Lord, when Josh spoke about adopting. Is there somebody that we've been working on, praying for, considering to share our faith? We would intentionally and be alert to their point of need. Father, there's so many hurting people in our culture today. And we have the answer. We have the great physician. We have the person who can change people's lives. So thank you, Jesus, for these truths. I pray that we would take them to heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.